0: This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. It reveals to me who God says I am and helps me discover what God says I can have. Because it's how he thinks, I choose to believe and act on what I'll read. And therefore I am transformed. Amen. Who is God? Can you know Him? Yes. My parents made me go to church when I was young, and at the age of 10, I went forward in a service at what's called an altar call to accept. Jesus and faith. Again, I was a 10-year-old boy. I knew nothing about the Bible or Christ or what kind of commitment I was making. Between the ages of 10 and 15, I started doing drugs. I was shooting up in my arm. I was running around with individuals five years older than me. And I was on a fast track I know that seems very young to you, but at the time in our neighborhood and hanging out with kids five years older than me, it was my life. I was a latchkey kid. When I was 15, there was a revival service being held at the church where my parents attended and they made me attend, made me go. That morning I had my army jacket on. It was long, it went down to my my knees. Sewn into the lining of the jacket were pot pipes. I had long hair down past my shoulders. And I I couldn't wait to get out of that service so that I could go smoke some pot. I had it on me. Had it on me standing there in the church service. It got to the end of the service and the evangelists began to uh, to, uh, give an altar call and ask people to come forward and make commitments to Christ. My dad and mom were both in the choir. The choir at that time was seated behind the speaker on the dais. My dad got up, left the choir loft, went down to the altar, knelt and prayed. I knew he was praying for me. I just laughed in my heart. He got up, went back into the choir. My mom left the choir. Music's going on. Everybody's standing, singing. I'm over on the far left side, probably about three or four rows back, just laughing in my heart, knowing that they were praying for me, but it wasn't going to do any good. My mom came. She knelt down at the altar, and she prayed. I knew she was praying for me. She got up, went back to the choir. Then my dad came out of that choir loft again. This time he walked past the altar. He walked over to the right side where I was standing and he he got closer and closer to me. I could see that he was crying. He threw his arms around me held me up tight to himself and said Jeff I love you. Jeff I love you. Jeff I love you. And in that moment I broke. young teenage boy long hair army jacket pot pipes and on that day I gave my life back to Christ in a very meaningful and deep way and what followed was that I got discipled I got involved in the church I became part of the youth group I began to travel and sing with the traveling singing ministry and then I found myself making a commitment to a new church that became a real foundation in my life, but unfortunately at the same time, was very heavy handed and legalistic, a real strong legalistic system of morals and submission to authority. Man, that was not working for me very well. (laughs) In fact, it's that church where I met my wife, Nina. I was thinking about all of this the other day. I was praying and I began to cry. As I reviewed my history and how I came to Christ and the life that's followed. And I felt this question come up in my spirit. Do I follow Christ? Do I believe in God because it's right? Or because I love him? Am I following God? Do I believe in Christ because I'm afraid that if I don't, I'll go to hell? If you do have your Bible this morning, let's turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. And starting in verse 7. to be the propitiation for our sins. Did you notice? It's all about knowing. It's all about knowing God. But did you also notice? You weren't chasing him. He chased you. God loved you. God sent his son after you. The Bible says, while I was still in my rebellious, sinful ways, God loved me and sent Christ after me. What a tremendous love. And then he says, anyone who does not love doesn't know God. And I begin to think, do I know you? Do I know you because of love or because the Bible tells me so? Do I know you because I have a relationship with you that's real and alive or because I'm afraid of the consequences? You see, God's love is selfless. In fact, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are a wonderful example of a divine dance that's other-centered. That's one of the definitions of love. Love is other-centered. There is nothing in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as this beautiful trinity, as they move about and dance together, that thinks about me at any time. They are always thinking about the other, always blessing and giving and loving and patient and kind and thinking the best and believing the best, and God is love. Did you note here? That it says God is love. Not that God is loving. See if God was loving like we are. He could be unloving. Because if love is just an attribute. It can be a negative attribute as well. God isn't just loving and he is. God is love. Love defines God. Every other attribute about God comes out of and is defined by his love. His patience is because he's love. His kindness is because he's love. His anger is because he is love. And when you begin to understand God is love, you get a whole different view of God's anger even. You find out that God's anger is not wrath and punitive and trying to exact judgment. But it's forgiving and restorative and healing. This is from the mirror translation. Francois Dutoit says in verse 10, love is not defined by our love for God, but by his love for us. It is not our response to God that attracts his attention. We have always had his undivided affection as declared in the prophetic promise and finally demonstrated in his son's commission and work of atonement for our sins. Isn't that good? It isn't your response to God that attracts his attention. Right now, where you're sitting, do you feel close to God or far from God? Do you feel God's blessing or feel like maybe you're not worthy? All of that is based on a system of performance, legalism and law, ritual and religion. God doesn't love you because you're good. God loves you because God is love. God doesn't love you because you behave. God loves you because he's God and he is love. God doesn't love you because you read your Bible and you prayed faithfully this week. God loves you because he is love. As we started this foundation, this message, this series on foundation, I decided that at the very bottom, the foundation of the foundation would be knowing God, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to talk about love, and then we're going to break for the rest of March, because we have to get ready for Easter, and we have some very special messages for you for preparing for Easter. But here's one I can't wait to get to, law and grace. I so want to talk about that because since I was 10 and 15 and got involved in that church that I then came out of that was very legalistic and heavy-handed and punitive and judgmental and my idea of God has completely changed because I've begun to experience God is Love. It is our very foundation. You know, there's something about love, and it's impossible for us. As I've said before, each one of these foundational subjects deserves nine weeks itself. So it's impossible for me this morning to touch on all the various things that one might want to talk about when it comes to to the subject of love. We'd, We'd, of course, want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'd, of course, want to talk about how that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and dissect that. We'd want to talk about loving one another. But there is one attribute about love, one thing about love that we find in the Bible that's the most defining about love except for what we've read here in 1st John chapter 4 that God is love and we find it here in 1st John chapter 4 if anyone says I love God and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen And this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother. He is a liar? Those are strong words. If you say you love God, but you hate, you dislike, you loathe, you reject, you don't want to be around, you are unkind to, you are impatient with, you talk bad about your brother, then you are a liar. Any takers this morning? (laughs) Have we all been there? We say with one breath, I love God with all my heart. And then we stop and we examine how we really treat each other. And not just each other here in the church family, But how about your co-worker at work? How about your neighbor who's just across the fence? I know you went through something, Barbara, with your your little dog. And somebody who deceived you wound up taking your dog when all you wanted was for them to provide some care While you went through a difficult season. In the natural, she has every reason to hate, to dislike, to shun, to reject, to speak evil about, to loathe this individual. But the Bible says that if we do that and then say that we love God, we're liars. Isn't that an amazing attribute about love when you stop and think about all the incredible things that we could say and talk about when it comes to the subject of love? This one seems to stand out to me as a defining one that I can't say I love and that I specially cannot say that I love God if I am treating you in an unloving way. Now when it says that this individual, that any of us caught in this situation are liars, it not only means that we're not telling the truth but that we're self, self-deceived. So how I treat, how I think about, how I behave towards other others is is so central to love and to knowing God that John says you cannot love God without loving others and Jesus picks up on this same thing and yet he adds another element to it watch this Matthew's gospel chapter 5 starting in verse 43 you have heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be like your father in heaven since he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors do the same, don't they? And if you only greet your brothers, what more do you do? Even the Gentiles do the same, don't they? So then be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's radical. I'm not only supposed to love you, I'm not only supposed to love those who love me back or are good or kind, I'm supposed to love my enemy. No one has ever said that until Jesus. And remember, he is love. He's never had a moment in his life where he didn't love. Now, you think you know what an enemy is. Right now, you're running through your mind somebody that you think is an enemy. Maybe they stole something from you. Maybe they said something about you. Maybe they did something ugly towards your family. Maybe it was just this past week. Your neighbor. Something they did. Now they're your enemy. Really. When this was written, Israel knew what it was like to have enemies. Israel still knows what it's like to have enemies. Israel's enemies. And back when Jesus made this statement, an enemy was somebody who literally wanted to kill you. Israel knows what it's like to have enemies. People that want to take them out. People that want to obliterate and annihilate them. All Jewish people as a nation. They want to wipe them from the face of the earth. That's a spirit. That spirit is still in the world, by the way. So when Jesus spoke this, it was so radical for him to stand there as a holy teacher and say, you've got to love even the person that if given the chance they would take a knife to your throat and slit it or they would throw you off a cliff but in any way that they could they would end your life and they would take joy in doing it and feel better because of it. Love them. Imagine what those words drew on inside of them when they made this statement. Love them. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, another rendering of that famous sermon of Jesus's, but I say to you, you who are listening, and that's important, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for. Is that your initial response when somebody does you wrong? Think about it. This last week, somebody that hurt your feelings or did something wrong or talked about you in some way. Was that your initial response? Oh, Father, I just bless them right now. Lord, I just want to pray over them in the name of Jesus. I I speak good into their life right now. Was that your initial response? Of course it wasn't. And it's not mine either because we do live in this earth suit and we wrestle with this unrenewed mind, which is why Paul said, look, the rest of your life as a believer, you are going to struggle with that divine struggle of what's in your mind, your thought life, versus what's in the word and your spirit, the new creation that you've been made. Now, see, when Jesus said, it is written, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Did you know that's actually not even in the Bible? He's referring to a passage of scripture in Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 that we're to love our neighbor. But the rest of it doesn't say, and hate your enemies. In fact, nowhere in the Old Testament does it say, hate your enemy, that's inferred. And it's inferred by any number of things, of course. Such as this passage, Psalm chapter 139. Here's a good one. This is David. If only you would kill the wicked, O God. Get away from me, you violent men. They rebel against you and they act deceitfully. Your enemies lie. O Lord, do I not hate those who hate you and despise those who oppose you? I absolutely hate them. They have become my enemies. All the Jewish people listening to Jesus say, love your enemy, knew that passage. It had been preached in temple. And of course, all of the various Old Testament passages about how God dealt with, quote, Israel's enemies were very clear. And so hating them was an inference. And Jesus says, it has, you have heard, he didn't say it is written. Oh, I'm not sure you heard. He didn't say it is written. Now, there are times where Jesus says it is written. He said, you have heard. There's lots of different ways that Israel heard that they were to hate their neighbors, including in church by the preacher. (laughs) But I say to you, love your enemies. Now, that's an interesting verse or comment. But I say to you, Oh, this is why I can't wait to get to that foundational truth about grace and the law. Here these Jewish people are standing before Jesus and he's teaching and preaching to them and they have all of the old covenant and the law and the rituals and the rules that their minds are running through and calling back to remembrance as Jesus is talking and Jesus comes out with this one. Love your enemies. You have heard that you are to love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Watch. But I say to you, what is he doing? In a single breath, he is putting his word and his teaching above the Old Testament law, above their religion, their culture, And every popular, popularly held belief, Jesus, in several words, just three or four words, puts himself above the old covenant, what they know, culture, and their system of religion. But I say to you, love your enemy. Oh, and he adds this. Love your enemy like your father. See, you've thought God hates people, that there are people God hates. People that reject God, people that don't love God, people that don't go to church, people who live immoral lives. God hates them, really, Jesus says you are to love your enemy like your father because, get this, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Very interesting. The message translation of that says, bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. Verse 17, don't hit Oh, I don't know if I got that. Verse 17, don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. Imagine that and be perfect as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. In other word, words, not perfect like as in holiness, but the word perfect means wanting nothing necessary to be complete. Did you know that if you and I really love people the way God loves us, Jesus said, you complete the whole law. Paul taught that is the fulfillment of everything written in the law. When you love people, you become complete like God. That's amazing. Let me see if I have this. I don't think I do. I'll go here. He says in Romans chapter 12 continue to speak well, even if someone wants to take advantage of you. Bless. And do not blame when you feel exploited. Do not merely act the role in someone else's gladness or grief. Feel with them in genuine joy and compassion. Esteem everyone with the same respect. No one is more important than the other. Associate yourself rather with the lowly than with the lofty. Do not distance yourselves from others. Don't distance yourselves from others. You know, that's one of the primary things that hate does is it creates groups of we and they and isn't our nation divided today into we and they and we hate and we loathe and we distance and we can't stand to be around and we say things about people who aren't like us and people who aren't part of our tribe or our political persuasion and Jesus says you can't love God don't think you're loving God when that's the way that you act if there's anything that I want to tell you this morning about the nature of what Jesus taught about love. It is this. See no stranger. I don't care who they are, how they live, or what they're doing, what they've said, what their political belief, where they live, or how they've treated you. See no stranger. Be willing to discover. Be willing to ask the questions. Be ready to discover the beauty. I think it's back here, isn't it? Where I said uh, or saw, I'll get to it here, discover the beauty in everyone. Really? Lord, Lord. Did you hear what they said? Do you know what they did? And he says, discover The beauty in everyone. Oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. Be ye perfect. Be ye complete. How? Discover the beauty in everyone. See no stranger. You mean that person that's living like that? I should not treat them as a stranger? Exactly. You mean that person who said that about me? Lord, did you hear what they said? See no stranger. When you see no strangers, you take down the walls, you'd invite them into your house, you'd go to lunch, you'd have that conversation. And oh, by the way, you'd be willing to discover, you'd be willing to ask questions and learn why they feel the way they do and believe what they believe. But here it is. God emptied hell. Religion has most people going back think about it what did Jesus do the Bible, when he went down into the lower parts of the earth remember during his death and burial the Bible says that he went down into the lower parts of the earth and he, he preached to them and then when he came up he, he brought many saints and he brought many who were in their graves formerly he preached the gospel Jesus emptied hell we have people going back very interesting Listen to the adjectives and the action words associated with Jesus' idea of loving your enemy. Listen. Bless, speak well, do not blame, esteem, respect, associate with the lowly, discover beauty in everyone. What if the darkness of your situation and of that person that you're hating is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb that's about to give new birth? Both are dark places, but one is full of life. You see, it's how you look at it. It's how you interpret it. Even when somebody says something unlovely, even when somebody says something unkind, even when that neighbor mistreats you, even when that manager at work does and says what they did, even when you are hurt by your spouse deeply, you have a choice to treat it as a tomb or to treat it as a womb a womb with the potential to give new life I understand that when you're in the midst of those overwhelming feelings of hate it's hard to see anything as life giving but Jesus' love God's kind of love sees every circumstance as an opportunity to bring forth new life it's how you treat it it's how I respond to it We're going to receive communion this morning. There's a table on my left and on my right. And our communion is open, which means that you do not have to be a member of this church. In fact, we're aware that you might still be on a spiritual journey where you're thinking about God and you're trying to discover exactly what God is about. We're aware that you may not even believe that all everything in the Bible is true. You have doubts about the Bible. It's okay. God believes in you. God loves you. And he offers communion because it is his body and his blood. It's a symbol of his body and his blood which he gave for us. And what you do when you receive communion is you're saying, okay, Lord, if you're alive, if you're real, I'm going to take this moment and for you that do believe in Christ and love him and have been doing your best to follow him it's a celebration of that life for you that are questioning and on a journey I would I would challenge you to receive communion I would challenge you to receive communion in this light that if you do you're going to honestly say to God God if you are real if all this love stuff that this preacher's talking about this morning is really transformational I open my heart, I open my life. Show me you, show me your love.